Welcome to Wines We Drink, a podcast for wine lovers and learners. I'm Charlotte Norsworthy, and together with my counterpart, Keith Herndon, we'll be exploring a new wine each week. Keith is a lover of wine, and I am a learner of wine, and we hope you'll continue learning and sipping along with us. Welcome, everyone, to the podcast Wines We Drink. I'm your co-host, Charlotte Norsworthy, and I'm joined, as always, by my counterpart, Keith Herndon, a certified wine sommelier. You're joining us for our 12th and final episode of Season 2. Keith, you call our summer fun project a case of episodes. Well, today, we're completing the case. Charlotte, yes, today is our final episode of the season, but I'm going to refrain from the goodbyes until the end of the show. Deal. We've had an awesome summer of drinking simply delicious wines, and today's episode is not going to be an exception. We're wrapping up the season today with the best of the best. Wow, we are rolling out the red carpet, people. It sounds (laughs) like you have an excellent selection for us today. But before we talk about today's wine, let's talk about our amazing wine friends, Todd and Angela Hurd, their proprietors at the Tapped Wine Bar. And we're back here today on location as we record the conclusion to season two. Yes, you know, we launched the season here all the way back in June with our first episode, and we've had a lot of fun recording several other episodes during the season here. You know, Tapped is a fun place to explore all sorts of wine, and we want to thank Todd and Angela again for their wonderful hospitality. And and speaking of that first episode, uh, Todd was our guest interview, so please go check out that episode if you haven't heard it yet. Yeah, if you've missed that episode or any other episodes from seasons one and two, you can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on all of the major podcast platforms, and there's a complete episode guide on our website at wineswedrink.com. So with our shameless plugs all out of the way, Keith, how are we ending season two today? Last week for the penultimate episode, we were in France's famed Côte de Rhone region. Well, we're staying nearby this week, but we're venturing further into the Southern Rhone for another outstanding red blend that hails from the Chateauneuf du Pop. Chateauneuf du Pop. That's such a fun thing to say. <laughs> I trust that the wine is going to be just as much fun to drink. Yeah, yes, it is fun to say, and it, and it translates to something like the Pope's New Castle. Amazing. Which reflects the period that the Roman Catholic Church called the region its own way back in the 1300s. But as for the wine we're drinking today, Charlotte, you're not going to be disappointed. I promise it's a delicious wine. Well, I mean, every selection this season has been a treat, so I would expect nothing less today. Well, you're right. You know, when looking back over the selections this season, we've enjoyed some simply exquisite wines. I mean, the list includes that fresh and citrusy Greek Assyrtico. We had some fantastic Napa bubbly and that amazing Nero Davila from Sicily. Uh, But this season was missing that big, bold wine that just brings robustness to the glass. And so we're going to rectify that with today's selection. Folks, we are ending with a bang. So, Keith, what specific bottle of Chateauneuf de Pop are we opening today? Well, I've selected a 2019 bottle from Bosquet de Pop which is now into its fifth generation of family winemakers. And and the bottle I've chosen was made from grapes harvested from old vines. In this case, the vines were 80 to 90 years old. It's a fantastic blend of 80% Grenache, 10% Syrah, and 10% Mouvedre. Wow, fifth generation family, old vines, I can't even keep a succulent. That 
alive for a better part of a year. Um, so this bottle of wine seems to have some stories to tell. Yeah, well, you're right about that. You know, just just being from this vaunted historic region would be would be enough of a story for most bottles like this. But but coming from the old vine adds a little extra, right? The winery says that the soils in their vineyards are a complex mixture of this clay and limestone limestone that are rolled with pebbles, right? And they, and they claim that those pebbles store up the heat during the day and they restore that heat to the vine stock at night. Mm. So these old vines have been thriving in, this, in, these, in these really interesting conditions for decades. And the winery thinks that the resulting fruit is just simply exquisite. And, and I'm not going to argue with the results. Yeah, I mean, who are we to argue with those results? This, <laughs> this bottle uh, from this winery seems to be such an excellent example of the French winemaking history overall. Yeah, well, you're correct again about that. You know, as I, as I mentioned, this winery is now in its fifth generation. It began with Emmanuel Baron investing in the family's first vineyard all the way back in the 18, uh, 1860s. But, but, but to put that a little bit in more of a historical perspective, the, the French didn't even get around to making Chateauneuf-du-Pape its first official wine appellation until 1936. Mm. So that meant that this family winery was part of creating that reputation that led to this region's official designation. You know, so now Chateauneuf-du-Pape is one of the 19 official crews or, or growths, as we say, of the Côte d'Iron wine region. Uh, but I would maintain that the Chateauneuf du Pop is the most famous of the of the cruise. Mm, yeah, that's certainly interesting. Um, but I think it's time to end the history lesson and maybe let's drink some wine. So could you fill our glasses? Okay, so Charlotte, so I'm going to pour your glass. Uh, I've got this in a nice uh, big decanter for the bike's robust wine like this. It needs a nice big decanter <laughs> <laughs> to get us started. So uh, let me pour uh, my glass. Now, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm following the uh, decanting advice that you can find at Wine Folly. I've had this bottle open in decanter for about an hour. You know, it probably would have been fine with a little bit less time, but a bowl wine like this needs some time to breathe and open up and let us sense all of its qualities. Yeah, absolutely. If, if I think that all of the wines that we've had that have been decanted, you can really sort of pick up on those intricacies of the smell and of the flavor. And as you were filling our glasses, the color, you know, it's dancing in the light that's coming through the windows here behind me um, at the tapped event room. Uh, you know, like our wine last week, this one is also sort of deep red in color, but there's also a purplish hue to it. Yeah, you know, the color of this wine has a shine to it. You know, it's, it's almost like a gem-like color. You know, it's, it's what you would expect from a Chateauneuf-du-Pop that is 80% Grenache. But I want you to go in for that first smell, Charlotte. You know, get your nose in the glass, and let's talk about those first aromas that you detect. Ooh, that first smell is something. This is a very aromatic wine. It's giving off a lot of berry notes, I would say. You know, it kind of smells like a combo of, you know, say blackberry and cherry, those red and deep berry fruits. Um, but I'm also getting a sort of hint of some herbiness. I'm gonna keep sniffing here. Yeah, please, please do. There, there's a there's a lot of aromas to pick up on this wine. It's it's really heavy on the nose. It is. Yeah, there's a lot of um, definite herbal qualities. I mean, maybe savoriness is the better word to use there on that smell. The berries are certainly there first. 
those herbs are a little bit more subtle. You know, that, that's a really interesting way to describe it. I, I like the way you talked about the herbs being subtle. You know, one of the online reviews I read during my research for this episode said this wine's, quote, bouquet leaves room for mystery, end quote. So, Charlotte, I believe you're beginning to unravel that mystery a little there. Oh, right? my gosh. I love the word bouquet to describe a sort of collection of flavors and plants <laughs> and all of that. That's just such a great word. And I think there's no better way to get to the bottom of a good wine mystery than to taste it. So I'm going to have the first sip. Yeah, go in there, and I'm going to join you. Wow. And you said at the beginning of the show that um, we were drinking a powerful wine today, but after that first sip, I think I now understand exactly what you mean. <laughs> um, I'm going to taste again before I say anything, though. Yeah, let's have another taste. That second taste is going to confirm what I'm expecting you to say. Oh, goodness. Right? The pressure is on. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think kick is maybe that word. I'm going to say this wine delivers some powerful flavor, but with a punch. I mean, I'm getting a little of that alcohol taste here. Without without a doubt. You know, this, this bottle lists its alcohol by volume at 15.5%, 15.5%. Wow. That's by far the highest alcohol content of any of the wines we've had this season, and it certainly contributes to that bold robustness of this wine. You know, so please take a few more sips, get your mouth acclimated to the alcohol a little bit, and then start to parse some of the flavors that you sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, once you get through those initial punches. Um, you know, I heard you using jammy in describing red wines, and I'm gonna use that here. I'm gonna steal that word. It's jammy, almost like a fruit compote would be sort of something that's been reduced. Um, and I'm gonna bring back in the savory as well. I mean, there's certainly sort of a spicy undertone, uh, you know, but simply just saying spice doesn't seem to do it justice. There's more to it. I just can't quite articulate it. Yeah, well, I, I think you're picking up on something that the winemaker certainly had in mind stylistically when they were making this wine. You know, first of all, we're getting that decent amount of tannins coming through, and that's to be expected when you learn that the juice that this, this wine was made from was fermented with the skins in contact for about 35 days. Wow. And, and then you learn that there was no destemming. Mm. Right, and that adds more organic material into the fermentation process. Um, Eric Asimov is a noted wine writer for the New York Times, and he explains that this is an old-fashioned technique, this not distemming, that that's used to add the savory elements to the wine. You know, so I, I think your taste buds picked up exactly what the winemaker wanted you to experience there. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing, and I don't think I would have ever thought, hmm, the stems of the grape were definitely here. Um, but yeah, now that you're explaining it, I think that, that that little bit of extra sort of adds adds in that taste there. And, you know, maybe also two summers of drinking great wines, talking about them with you. My old taste buds are finally coming around. Well, Charlotte, yes, they are. You know, you, you have phenomenal wine smell <laughs> capabilities and tasting capabilities. So, so take another sip of this wine and concentrate on how it finishes in your mouth. How would you describe the finish of this wine? Long. <laughs> I'm going to describe it as a long finish. All of these complex, you know, berry flavors, the spicy notes that we were talking about earlier, they combine with the tannins and they just hang out in my mouth. I mean, it's 
a really wonderful mouthfeel. I quite enjoy it. The tannins are definitely there. There's a drying quality, but it's not over the top. I don't have sort of cotton mouth or anything. The finish is really satisfying. Um, last week we talked about that Cote de Rhone and it having an elegance to it. And I'm going to say maybe the same thing about this wine. It's it's elegant. You know, Charlotte, there, there's so much going on with this wine. You know, it's just really hard to take it all in. The, the fruit was from old vines, you know, 80 to 90-year-old vines. You know, the stems were left on for the savoriness. The skin was in contact for 35 days. And then on top of all that, it aged in oak for about 18 months. The winemakers put so much effort into this wine the, the results are phenomenal in my estimation. You know, I've had several Chateauneuf-du-Pop wines in the last few years across many price points, and this is by far my favorite one of the group. A long winemaking process, a long finish, um, and a Herndon favorite. So <laughs> that's a delightful uh, selection that you've chosen here to end season two. Um, but before we move on into the pairing period, we have to talk first about costs. So with all of this long and diverse history, what should our listeners expect to pay for the wine that we're drinking today? Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into a little background here. Wine writer Tom Kennevin wrote a few years back that, quote, for many people, Chateauneuf-du-Pop will be amongst the most expensive wines they will ever buy, end quote. Oof. In, in recent years, there's been a lot of pricing innovation coming out of the region, and you'll find selections from $30 a bottle to several hundred dollars a bottle, right? The bottle I've chosen today has an average national price on the Vivino app of $72. Mm. That's by far the most expensive wine that we featured this season, right? Right. But I, I, as I said earlier, this is one of my wine indulgences, right? It's certainly not on the low end of the price range that we've been emphasizing this, you know, this, uh, this season. But, but the quality of this wine Will it will certainly stand up to those, you know, north of the $100 price tag. So I would describe this wine as a relative value proposition, right? Mm -hmm. It's not priced as an everyday wine for most people, but you may not find a better splurge value, right, right? in terms of price and quality. So my suggestion is that you buy last week's Cote de Rhone for under $20 and have that as your everyday value bottle of red, and then you keep the Chateauneuf de Pop on hand for that special meal or that special milestone. That's right. We've always talked about this season about certain wines being there for your certain milestones for special occasions. And I like that we've incorporated some of that this season. And I think that that's a great combo. The everyday wine with the milestone wine. It's, it's good to have both on hand, in other absolutely, words. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we're going to take a short break. When we return, Keith will be ready to share this milestone wine um, with his suggestions for today's pairing, um, the elegant wine with maybe some elegant food, um, our pairing period. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back to today's episode, our final show for the summer 2022 season. We're so happy you're with us and we're in our pairing period, which is the portion of each episode when Keith provides suggestions for how to pair today's wine with food. Uh, thanks, Charlotte. It is bitter, bittersweet that today is our last episode 
of the summer. But, but you know, we can look back and, and think fondly of all the delicious wine and cheese pairings that we've enjoyed. And especially the episode of the food pairing where we grill burgers mm-hmm. to complement that Sicilian Nero Davola that we love so much. Man, if you missed that episode, please go back and listen. That was certainly a favorite episode of mine from the season. But, but now let's dive into this week's pairing period. Yes, a favorite of mine as well. Let's go ahead and get started with this week. Uh, you know, I came across a wonderful article at the Drink and Pair website that opened like this. Quote, imagine you're a hunter living in a remote France forest in the 1800s. Anything you catch running or flying in the wild is fair game with Chateauneuf du Pops, cooked berry, gamey, and rustic flavors, end quote. Mm. <laughs> so, yes, this is a perfect complement to game. Mm-hmm. So if you're a hunter, by all means, <laughs> you know, choose this wine with your duck breast and your venison stew, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so I know most of us aren't game hunters, but it still works with those duck breasts you can get at your local market. But, but I have even something better in mind for this wine, especially as we turn our attention to the fall and those football tailgates. Oh yeah, I know you're a big football fan, but I was not expecting you to connect football tailgates with Chateauneuf de Pop. Charlotte, my love of the football game knows no bounds, as you know. (laughs) And when I can combine two of my passions, football and wine, all the better. So my suggestion for the perfect food with this wine would be barbecued beef ribs. Mm. The tannins in this wine are gonna tear through the meaty texture of the ribs and those spicy notes are a perfect complement to the smoky char of the meat. Football, ribs, and Chateauneuf du Pop. You can't go wrong, right? So I want you to pick a big game and bring this milestone wine out to celebrate the victory. There we go. I must admit that does sound like a pretty good tailgate. <laughs> yes, you can, you know, you can also grill some carrots and saute some mushrooms to serve along with the ribs. You know, root vegetables and mushrooms go so well with the savoriness of this wine. But let me add a big caveat to what I mean by the barbecue here. You don't want to go too much with a spicy rub on this uh, on those ribs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there is simply too much alcohol in our bottle today to work with really hot chili spices, for example. You know, alcohol amplifies the hot spice, so it would be overkill. So you wouldn't want to pair this wine with spicy curries or spicy hot Mexican dishes. But you know, a typical kind of barbecue rub that you might use on a football tailgate ribs would be very appropriate. Mm-hmm. Something maybe sweeter or milder. Right. That's such a great tip. I would have never thought to consider the level of alcohol and pair accordingly. Good tip. Yes. You know, there are many factors that come into play when choosing the wine that you pair with food. But in the really, you know, in the end, it really comes down to whether you like it or not. Your palate is unique to you. So the lesson from our show that I hope that people have taken away from the season is to experience Experiment with lots of wines and food pairing combinations and find those that, that, that you will find as your own personal favorite. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not letting you get away today, though, without talking about a cheese pairing. So uh, when serving today's wine with cheese, what would you recommend? Well, as I said last week, when in France, stay in France. So during the break, I sliced some French Emmental cheese. So please enjoy a bite of this French 
almost like a Swiss cheese, but it's a French version of the Swiss cheese. Mm. You know, so to take another sip along with this uh, bite of this uh, French Emmental cheese. Don't mind if I do. You know, these cheese pairings are what I look forward to the most. Mm. Well, I hope you enjoyed that first bite of cheese and wine. If you're not familiar with Emmental, it is another of the classic European cheeses. It has a style that dates all the way back to the late 1200s, right? Mm. It's a cheese that's made from cow's milk, but it's considered a medium hard cheese, you know, but I, but I think even though it's described as medium hard, I think it still has that creamy texture and it has some strong flavors that are organic. You know, it's earthy and grassy-like, and so I think it really pairs well with that savoriness of our Chateauneuf du Pop. Yeah, you are so right about the flavor of the cheese. I'm definitely getting the grassiness and its earthiness matches the earthiness of our wine. You know, this cheese sort of reminds me of Gruyere, though, which I also think maybe could work here. Yeah, absolutely. And and although we're eating a French-made Emmental cheese, its its real ancestral home is Switzerland, mm. which makes the cheese a definite cousin to Gruyere that you mentioned. So you can't go wrong matching this wine with a Gruyere or or certainly a Conte which also has a nutty quality when it's aged a bit. Mm, yeah, those are some great cheese ideas. Thank you, Keith. And now with our pairing period over, it's time to bow out this season. Well, before we do that, there's one more thing about today's wine that I wanna say. We opened a 2019 vintage, which is just beginning to show us the drinkability of this Chateauneuf du Pop. The winemaker says this one won't reach its full potential until its sixth or seventh year. Wow. So this is a wine that will really age some nicely in the bottle. So Charlotte, I'm gonna make a deal with you. Okay. If we're still doing a wine podcast then, in the sixth or seventh year of this bottle, <laughs> I'm gonna open another bottle and we'll revisit it and see how it has aged. Man, that sounds like a plan. So thank you for being my co-host for this fantastic season. Thank you for all the great wines you've brought on the show for me and our listeners to learn and love. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, yes, Charlotte, you're so welcome. And, and this show is nothing without your enthusiasm and the sense of discovery that you bring each week. We're so glad that you're on the Wines We Drink team. Man, well, that's a wrap, everyone. Thank you so much. Go out there, drink wine, taste some cheeses, and enjoy. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to Wines We Drink. Listen to our other episodes anywhere you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Wines We Drink and on Instagram at The Wines We Drink. Cheers.